0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, Westway. I'm Joe. I'm one of the pastors here at Westway. I'm the one that didn't make the video because his glasses kept glaring every time they tried to video me. Um, It's so good to see you all here this morning and we have been, in the last month, going through a series of uh, messages about the intergenerational church. And we're going to continue that this morning, and, and um, we're going to be turning in our Bibles to Acts chapter 1 to begin with this morning. So if you want to turn there uh, at this point. This book of Acts records the history of the church. It's written by a man named Luke. And as we finish our series on the intergenerational church, it's only fitting that we look back and discuss the significance of what happened on the day of Pentecost. This would be that, that day and how it continues to affect us even today. So we're going to begin in chapter one in verse one. And Luke says, in my first book, what was his first book? Luke. (laughs) That was his first book. This is the second one. He continues on. In my first book, I told you, Theopolis, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, they were to wait. While they were sitting around that table, Jesus says, don't go anywhere. There's something that's going to happen that's really important, and I don't want you to miss it. And he continues in verse 6 here, he says, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They were thinking what? They were thinking that Jesus had come to free them from Rome. They were still thinking that after three years of hanging out with Jesus and learning from him and watching him and growing in their relationship with him, they still expected this earthly king in the back of their minds. They knew there was something more than that, but they still thought it. That's kind of the way we are. We get our thoughts on the way things ought to be, and all of a sudden, it changes, and we're not ready for the change. Let's see how that happens here. And Jesus replied to them when they asked that question. He said, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. I'm going to stop there again. Wouldn't it be great if we knew when he was going to do what he's going to do so we could be ready? Maybe a better way to ask that would be, why don't we just be ready so that when he does what he's going to do, we're ready. Yeah. Jesus goes on and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Did you catch the order there? Starting in Jerusalem, then throughout Judea, and in Samaria, and then to the rest of us. <laughs> the ends of the earth. And in verse 9 he says, And after, the, after saying this, He was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see Him. As they strained to see Him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. I don't know about you, but last night I was outside looking up. (laughs) There were some amazing clouds moving in yesterday evening. And every time I see clouds in the sky, I wonder, is he coming? Because did you hear what the angel said? He's going to return the same way that he went. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. I'm watching for that. I probably would have been right next to those angels, or to those apostles, as they were standing there looking up. And I'm thinking, wow. That was awesome. What's next? Do you suppose there was a little fear? Do you suppose there was a little uncertainty? Do you suppose they were a bit puzzled at what had just happened and what was going to happen? As you read on in chapter 1, you will see that the apostles returned to Jerusalem, to a room where they met with many more of Jesus' disciples to pray and wait as they had been instructed. And while there, Peter reminds them that they needed to find a replacement for Judas. And in verses 21 and 22, Peter says this. He says, so now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. And then he says, whoever is chosen Will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. He watched, he was there, he saw, now he's a witness along with the other 11. And so, two men were nominated, and after praying and asking for God to show them which one he wanted, They cast lots, (laughs) and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. This always makes me think of playing games on the playground when I was a kid, and we'd do the bubblegum, bubblegum song. Some of you would remember that, maybe most of you probably not. (laughs) Um, To pick somebody else. It was similar in that way, but what did they do first? They prayed and asked God to show them. Who's the right one? They identified some candidates and then they asked God. And Matthias was chosen. And so we get to chapter 2. And we're going to spend our time today mostly in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. Because this is so important for us as a church here at Westway. And the church here in Big C in our country and in the world. This is where it began in a lot of ways. And it starts off in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 and it says on the day of Pentecost all the believers were meeting together in one place. Some translation says they, they were all meeting together in one place. Referring back specifically to the apostles. So what is this Pentecost that we see here? We don't necessarily celebrate it like they did back then. And so, a little bit about Pentecost. This was one of the three principal feasts of the Jews. The others being Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. This feast was known by several names. Firstfruits. Now, that name should Ring a bell to us, those of us who have been Christians for a while. If we're reading in the Old Testament, the children of Israel were instructed by God to bring the first of their crops into the temple and present it to the priests. Pentecost was at a time when the harvest was ripe and it would be time for them to be harvesting and bringing in their first fruits. Another name for Pentecost was Harvest Festival. And another one was Feast of Weeks. And Pentecost, as we see here. The last two of these names derived from the time it was held, which was 50 days after the first ordinary Sabbath, after the beginning of Passover. Pentecost meaning 50th. Also since 50 days were exactly seven weeks, counting the first and last Sundays inclusively, this led to the name Feast of Weeks. So here we are on the day of Pentecost and the Jewish pilgrims had come to Jerusalem from all over the world at that time to participate in this festival. It was a lot of people that were in town on that day. A lot of people celebrating what God had called them to do, this Feast of the Tabernacles. And so as we think about this, and we think about the apostles meeting there together in this one place, we read on in verse 2. He says, Suddenly, The spirit is typified by the wind in that in that it is gentle. It is powerful. Last night my wife and one of my daughters and a couple of my grandkids were coming back from um, Fort Collins and the phone kept going off for tornado warnings in the area they were traveling through. How many of you have ever heard a tornado? <laughs> it's loud. Sounds like a freight train is usually how they explain it. That's power. We've probably all seen the effects of a tornado on on TV. That's the wind. I'm guessing it sounded similar. Doesn't say there was damage like that. (laughs) But it made noise. It was loud. And then this tongues of fire. It's worth noting here that God descended on Mount Sinai in the form of a fire. And as the children of Israel traveled in the wilderness, they were led by a pillar of fire by night. And even earlier in Scripture, um, before Moses was sent to Egypt, um, how did God speak to him? In a burning bush. You see, God's presence in the form of fire was nothing new to the Jews they would have been taught about it repeatedly. And so here we are in this room. The apostles are sitting there. They hear the wind. They see what looks like tongues of fire resting on them. And at that time, there were, about, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem, it says in verse 5. and verse 6, when they heard the loud noise... Everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Can you hear the commotion? I was standing out in the lobby for just a little while this morning and there was a lot of talking going on out there. And they were all in the same language, but I couldn't understand most of them because I wasn't close enough to understand the conversation. Can you imagine what it would have been like If all of the nations are gathered together in the same spot and they're hearing somebody speaking in their language, they could understand them. They were completely amazed, it says in verse 7. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And yet, we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians. Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, the province of Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages, And what are they saying? They're speaking about the wonderful things God has done. They were sharing their story. They were sharing what they had witnessed. And people were understanding it. Verse 12, they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk, that's all. You ever seen a drunk? (laughs) I'm sure we have. They're a little different. They do things a little different when they're drunk. It's also interesting that when we see something we don't understand, we come up with a reason, don't we? Our own reason. And we don't know for sure what it is, but we'll make something up so that we feel comfortable in the moment. You see, people had come to Jerusalem from every direction, and they were surprised to hear the apostles, who were all from Galilee, talking in their own language. In verse 14, he says that Luke goes on, he says, Then Peter stepped forward from the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd Listen! Listen carefully, all of you. Fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. (laughs) No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. So Peter pulls out his Bible, doesn't he? And he starts talking from what they would have understood as being the scriptures at that time. And he said, listen to what it says in verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn red before that great and glorious day the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Peter says, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. And then he goes to the scripture again. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. And Peter says, Dear brothers, think about this. <laughs> you can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this. Remember what the qualifications were for the two that were chosen as nominees to replace Judas? They had to have been with him from the time of Jesus' baptism all the way up to the resurrection and his ascension. They were there. They saw it. We are all witnesses of this. Peter goes on in verse 33, he says, Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven. Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter gets a little in their face, doesn't he? That's like the third time he said that you did this. You crucified him. That's a bit personal. What does it mean when we say that he is Lord? Well, I looked it up in the Enhanced Strong's lexicon. It comes from a a Greek word, and Dave, forgive me if I pronounce this wrong. Kurios. From Kurios Supremacy. He to whom a person or thing belongs about which he has power of deciding. When we say that he is Lord, we're saying we belong to him. And we're going to allow him to decide what we do. He's Lord. Another another verse. Explanation here is the owner, one who has control of the person, the master. Paul talks about how we become his slaves when we become his children. Slaves to Christ. And what is this Messiah that he is? That Peter says he became both Lord and Messiah. That comes from the word Christos, as does Christ. Christ was the Messiah, the Son of God. He was the anointed one, the one who was chosen to be the sacrificial lamb that takes the place of our sin. He's both Lord and Messiah. Every good Jew was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. The chosen one that would free them from captivity to Rome is what they were thinking. And here, Peter and the apostles were saying that it was this guy, Jesus, that they had all heard about. It's quite certain that those listening to Peter that day had at least heard about Jesus' crucifixion. And many of them, quite possibly, could have been in the crowd that shouted, crucify him. They also quite probably had heard about his resurrection from the grave. Could it really have happened? Do you remember the conversation between the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? And how they were talking about all the things that had happened. And here comes another guy along with them. And begins to talk with them and tell them all about himself and what he had been doing. And it wasn't until they sat down for a meal and ate together that they realized that was Jesus. Talking to them. People were talking. They knew about Jesus. They knew what he claimed to be. They'd heard that he was no longer in the tomb. But they didn't know whether they could believe it or not. And here are at least 12 men. Who are bearing witness to having, been, having seen him after he was crucified On the cross. And not just seeing him dead, but seeing him alive. Walking amongst them. Talking to them. Eating with them. Peter goes on and he says this in verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles... Brothers, what should we do? They felt guilty of the sins that they had committed. And they wanted to know, what can we do about this? And Peter replied in verse 38, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus told them to go and wait for? This gift? Peter says, this is what you need to do. Repent. Turn away from your sin. The old life. And be baptized in the name of Jesus. Immersed is what this Greek word means, baptizo. Be immersed in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now after the testimony they had just heard, they find themselves believing in this Jesus. I have to wonder, I wonder how many of them were there when he ran them out of the temple. I wonder how many of them were there when he healed the blind man or the deaf man or the cripple or the leper. I wonder how many of them had lunch with the 5,000 or the 4,000. I wonder how many of them lined the road as Jesus entered Jerusalem. I wonder how many of them were shouting Hosanna I wonder how many of them were in the crowd that were stirred up by the religious leaders to shout, crucify him, crucify him. Whatever the case may be now, they realize that this man called Jesus was who he said he was and they were pierced to the heart by the message of Peter. Now they realize that something needed to be done. And so they ask, what should we do? And Peter's answer is short and simple. Repent and be baptized. What happened as a result of obedience to that command? Sins were forgiven. And they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 39, he goes on and he says, This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. That word all is pretty inclusive, isn't it? That includes you. And then Peter, in verse 40, continued preaching (laughs) for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Do you suppose that message is still important today? Do we live in a crooked generation? Sin's still out there. Satan's still working. He's still trying his best to get us to follow him. He's trying to pull us away from being obedient obedient to the one who would be our Lord and Messiah. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Can you imagine? It was awesome. People were pricked to the heart. They asked what they should do. They were told they believed, turned away from their sins, were immersed and added to the church. And the church began. To you, your children, those far away, and all who have been called by the Lord our God. That's multi generational. You catch it? That's a lot of generations. Especially when you know it's us included. Generation after generation after generation after generation. He came for you. He came wanting you to understand there's a way to be free of your sin. Forgiven of your sin. There's a way to be his children. Part of the chosen. That's multi-generational. But you know what? The church didn't stop there. It goes on in verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Sorry, guys, I was whistling during the devotion time this morning. (laughs) We should be happy to be here. We should be happy to be spending time with each other. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's intergenerational. Did you catch it? They're doing things together intergenerationally. They're meeting together, eating together Selling their possessions so that they can help somebody in need. They're doing stuff together. That's intergenerational. That's what we've been talking about these last few weeks. That's the desire of God for the church. That we are in fellowship with one another. Doing things with and for each other. I hope you find great joy in doing that. So as we consider the gift of the Holy Spirit that is given upon the baptism of those people, the New Testament has too many passages for me to mention, uh, to mention them all there here this morning, or I'd be preaching long like Peter. But um, <laughs> I will refer to a few of these passages. So if you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul, the apostle, Who once was a Pharisee and persecuted the new way, the church. And Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, you remember the story. And he was told to go into town and he was to wait there for this guy named Ananias to come and explain to him further the way. He was blinded by the light. And Ananias comes and he explains what he's supposed to do and what God has in mind for him. And the scales fell from his eyes and he could see. And he immediately got up and was baptized. And his sins were washed away. And he ended up writing many letters to churches that he helped to start throughout the world at that time. And in 1 Corinthians, he says this, chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. And he tells us the Holy Spirit was given to you by God and he lives within you. And this is what he says. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You know, all month we've been talking about the body and all all its many parts. Here Paul says the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you And was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourselves. For God bought you with a high price. Lord. He is Lord. You got it? So you must honor God with your body. Is he Lord of your life? is the Holy Spirit who is within you, given to you by God, helping you to understand and know that He is Lord and not me, myself and I. And then if you turn over to 1 John, the Apostle John in chapter 4 um, tells us that the Holy Spirit is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. We live in a world that is still infested with evil i say it infested because it's like an infection (laughs) for a lot of us but the apostle john says in first verse four of chapter four in first john he says but you belong to god my dear children you have already won a victory over those people. And if you go back and read the context of this, you'll see that he was talking about false prophets and people that would pull them away from the church. And he says, you've already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. I don't know about you, but I need that help. I can't do that on my own. I need the Holy Spirit to help me with the temptations that Satan keeps throwing my way over and over and over. And if you tell me you're not tempted, then you're not really alive, I don't think. Because we're all tempted, and he doesn't give up. Remember this verse. The Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. Paul tells us that when the Holy Spirit lives in us, there will be evidence in the fruit that we produce. That's, you can read about this in Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. Many of you can probably quote this verse. It says in these verses, <laughs> in verse 22 it says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature... To his cross and crucified them there. Paul talks in Romans chapter 6 about how that happens with the baptism, how we're buried with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. That old self is crucified, done away with. And in verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Those don't come from the Holy Spirit. Again, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul again exhorts us to be careful and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.15, it says this, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. That's where I think about the drunk. (laughs) And so does Paul. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine. Because you're acting thoughtlessly then. (laughs) Because that will ruin your life, Paul says. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, songs among yourselves. And making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. I was principal at a Christian school for 13 years, and sometimes sitting in the classroom, somebody would start singing, usually a song we did in chapel or whistling, and I always hated to stop them. You know why? It was a condition of their heart, and the way they felt in the moment, they were at ease, they were comfortable. I wonder what would happen if, Jen, I wonder if what would happen if somebody in school today um, started singing a praise song <laughs> in school. I really wonder what they would do. That'd be awesome. Let's start it. <laughs> I think that we need to live such a life that in our hearts there's joy and it's hard to keep it in. That it just has to come out. I love what we do here on a Sunday morning together singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody in our heart to the Lord. I love watching the kids be involved in that because that's intergenerational. You see, the Holy Spirit is given to us by God and is greater than Then Satan, he produces fruit in our lives. So we need and should be filled with him, pressed down and running over. Throughout time, God has desired a loving relationship with mankind. A holy God and our sinful deeds cannot coexist. Sin results in death. Death. And is repulsive to God. So something has to go. God provided a way of relationship and reconciliation. Through the saving blood of Jesus. Who died to take our place in payment that we might live. The gratitude of our sins removed should compel us to no longer live in them. There is nothing magical about the confession of faith or the waters of baptism that gives us a new life. Instead, the act of turning away from the life of sin and turning toward a life of righteousness is the new life he died to give us. There will be no difference in our world between those who believe and those who don't believe unless those who claim to believe Throw off all our transgressions and take on a new heart and a new spirit. It is the least we can do for the one who died for us to free us from our sins. Do you need the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you need his help to throw that old Joe, if you will, A way to bury him. To live a new life in Christ as my Lord, my Messiah, my Deliverer. I love seeing the clouds, especially in the east when the sun is shining behind me in the west and the clouds are billowing up in the east and they're beautiful. And I will forever be watching For his return. Because. I've been united with him. In his death burial and resurrection. I've received the Holy Spirit. I am a witness. To what he can do in somebody's life. And those of you. Who have. Done away with the old self. And made that decision. To follow Peter's instructions of repenting. Turning away. From sin. And being immersed with Him, you understand that too. And you're a witness to what He can do and will do when we make Him Lord. If you're here today and you haven't done that, I would love for you to come see me. Let's talk, let's make it possible for you to make that decision to do away with the old self, to repent and to make him Lord of your life so that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful. I remember the day many, many years ago as a young person when I was convicted of the sin in my life And the instructions were given to repent, to turn away, and to be obedient to the point of humbling myself in baptism so that I might receive the Holy Spirit to help me walk anew with you. Father, I am so grateful that you loved us so much that you sent your Son into this world to give his life to take my place our place as a sacrifice for sin we love you i pray that if there are those in this room who have not done that and they don't know the power of the holy spirit i pray that they would make that decision and so that they too can look up in an expectancy and not fear of the return of your son when he comes to take us to be with you in heaven. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.